Each episode of Education with an Edge is meant to create, cultivate, and inspire honest discussion about issues affecting youth. Hosted by author, artist, educator, advocate, and speaker, Jaquel Lane. Hello and welcome. My name is Jaquel Lane and I am your hostess of Education with an Edge, the podcast dedicated to all things children because we know and believe that every child matters and you should too. I am so very grateful and honored to have my friend Sarah Phelps, who is the executive director of Owlish on the podcast today. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. And of course, I have to brag on this absolutely phenomenal and beautiful soul. Not only is she the executive director of Owlish, a nonprofit advocate, advocating for older LGBTQ plus adults through education policy and resource development. But her passion for global equity, coupled with her lifelong advocacy for LGBTQIA2S plus community, has led her to Owlish when its rapid growth necessitated a formal executive director. Sarah has over 20 plus years of nonprofit and volunteer experience, as well as award-winning professional expertise, building developmental programs, driving innovative thought, and leading diversity, equity, and inclusion groups. She writes on cultural change, futurism, and creating innovative and just programs. Sarah is also on the Speakers Bureau for Hummingbird Humanity, so if you need a phenomenal keynote speaker, this is your woman. Specializing in the challenges of older LGBTQ plus community, she consults with senior-facing and senior-adjacent organizations invested in beginning the G-D-E-I-B-J journey. So Sarah, thank you so much. I'm so honored that you're here. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. So, um, you know, this podcast is dedicated to young people um, and just kind of helping them overcome obstacles. We know that um, life is wonderful, but also life can be extremely hard. And um, so Sarah, I think it's essential just to start from the beginning to understand your remarkable story. Can you tell us a little bit about your upbringing and childhood? Sure. I um, was very fortunate to grow up in Iowa, southwest Iowa. Uh, My dad has a farm, and so I spent a lot of my time outside as a kiddo, um, which turned out to be kind of a lifesaver because um, I have very, very severe depression, and I've spent a lifetime trying to deal with it. Um, One of the best medicines for depression, as I'm sure you know, is to get outside and do some exercise and connect with nature and all that kind of thing. So um, while I also need medication, um, that is pretty crucial to my journey. Um, So I was that kid who wanted a horse really bad, and my dad really wanted to not get me a horse. So I created a campaign um, that took a year where I did presentations to my dad about why a horse would be really, really useful to me. And Um, exactly how it was going to benefit me in life. And eventually he got tired of it and uh, got me a pony. So it worked out great. (laughs) It's like negotiating skills. Yeah. It's awesome. It's awesome. And I spent a lot of time at the library. Uh, We have a beautiful library in Red Oak, Iowa. And I uh, started at A and read uh, by the time I stopped going to the library when I was probably in 11th grade. I had made it through X and read every book in the library. So Holy cow. Yeah. So. I believe that too, being your friend, like you're <laughs> highly intelligent, highly well-read individual. So that's yeah. awesome. So, um, you know, the library and animals were probably the lifesavers. I graduated from high school, had a like very successful high school career and, um, very successful college career. And man, it's been a journey since then. So I love it. I also love that oftentimes like our society fixates on, um, 
and I, I'll say this, like an opulence mentality. And so I think a lot of young people are, are faced with the fact that, you know, in order to be happy, you have to acquire all these things and your life has to look a certain way. So I'm really appreciative to the fact that you focused on things like getting outdoors, which is so simplistic, and going to the public library, which is also something that you can do, um, you know, as a young person, that if you're in a difficult situation or, or period of your life, it's like, anytime you open a book, like, you're going to learn something, you're going to be transported to a new place. And so that's, that's really beautiful. I will say, though, both of those things reflect the privilege I was raised with yes. because if I wanted to go to the library, I always had a ride. Right. When I needed a horse, wanted a horse, I eventually got the horse. Um, it was safe for me to be outside. Um, a lot of the kids I talk to these days, um, especially in the, in the city, yes. it's not safe for them to be far from home. It's not easy for them to get to a library and they certainly are not going to get a pony sometime soon. So, um, there, there's privilege reflected in that as well. So. Absolutely. And thank you for acknowledging that. And that's one of the things that I continue to learn so much from you. Um, and we'll get into that, all of your experience. But um, always acknowledging our journey and being grateful for the things that we've had, but also, you know, acknowledging others' journey and, and how things are difficult and yeah. um, for, for some individuals. So, um I mean, you're, you are, I think that like the cool thing for me is that I look to you as a mentor. And so I I think it's always interesting when I really look up to someone to find out like who was a mentor to them. So I'll turn that kind of question back to you. So who was a mentor in your life growing up and how did they inspire you? You know, um, I would say in those beginning years, my dad, for sure. Um, He was a Navy cryptographer, so he broke code. Uh, in the Navy and super highly intelligent. Um, Also, because he'd had that worldwide experience sailing, um, much more inclusive minded than his peers in rural area. Um, I remember a time when I was a kid and there were some folks at the farm. I was little, I was like six or seven and they were making I'll just say watermelon jokes. I'll go with watermelon Mm -hmm. jokes. Um, and I started to say something because I didn't, I didn't understand the context. I didn't understand the joke. And my right. dad kind of grabbed me. And then when they left, he explained what this all meant. And he said, never forget that it takes a very small person to need to make someone else feel smaller, yeah. to make themselves feel worthy. Um, and that has really stuck with me through the years. So Absolutely. Yeah. And I think too, and we'll get into that, but you have a very interesting perception growing up in rural America, and I too grew up in rural America, and um, I'm grateful for, um, I'm grateful for that experience, and I know that you are too. Some very wonderful things about it, but also how, how, um, how wonderful of your dad, because that's a difficult conversation to have with a young person. Um, but how how wonderful of your dad and how open minded of him to to impart that wisdom on you that young and thank goodness that he yeah. did right he really treated me like I'm not going to say a peer but like a thinking person <clears throat> right which I think is really lacking in most people's parenting style and not that I'm not a parent I'm not judging but kids are thinkers kids contemplate you know they're just learning how things work in the world and so they're putting more thought into every action than any adult is because we do things by rote 
we've learned how this is going to go, so we just phone it in, so to say. Every experience for a kiddo is new. Yes. And my dad was like, you know, if you don't understand this experience, here's how you understand it. Here's how to do the research. Here's how to find the right person to ask. He was all about enabling me and empowering me to think for myself. Yes. Which really was incredible later in life. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've never had to be dependent on someone to find information. Right. So. Yeah. And I'll, I'll back up because um, you might not be a biological mother to children, but you have mothered many. And thank you for that. And, and seriously have changed a lot of lives. So um, I just appreciate that. So thank you. I had to say that. Um, so this, this is, this gets into kind of, I would say the passion and kind of gets into your purpose. Um, you know, you're highly motivated to support others in every facet of their lives. And that's why I'm so grateful that our paths crossed. Um, but you know, you're, you're especially passionate about the lives of older LGBTQIA plus, um, individuals. And so can you tell us where your passion began? Gosh, um, I think reading a lot of books in the library, like, okay, this dates me, but when I was a kid, like, people were all reading Nancy Drew and Trixie Belden (laughs) and The Babysitter's Club. And, you know, what are those books? They are books about young, white, privileged kids doing the same thing in every book, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you read books just in the library, it forces you to consider, you know, people that are a different age, people who are raised differently, a different color, people who live in abject poverty or people that live in like an excessive amount of opulence, as you say, but are also neglected. Yes. Um, luxurious neglect is a term uh, mm-hmm. that I've heard a lot. Um, thank you, Rainbow Dark, for uh, inventing that term. Yes. Um, but uh, I think a lot about that. And I have thought a lot about that my whole life. So, you know, I get out of high school. I start to meet people who are different from me. Mm-hmm. Um, I met a young uh, gay gentleman, and everywhere we went, I had to pretend to be his girlfriend because it wasn't safe. Right. Um, get to college, kind of the same situation. We I went to a somewhat liberal college, Luther College, and uh, there were openly out LGBTQ people on campus, and the minute their parents hit campus for homecoming, Everybody was straight, you know, Um, and then as life continues, I I moved to Omaha, I joined River City Mixed Chorus, Um, and at the time, most of the people in chorus besides (laughs) myself were older LGBTQ folks, Mm -hmm. Um, and that was a time in my life where I was was pretty uh, suicidal, having a lot of negative thoughts, and that community wrapped its arms around me and saved my life, and there's nothing that is more important to me than paying that back for the rest of my life. Wow. Um, that is my passion. That is my purpose. Um, they're, LGBTQ people are marginalized, mm-hmm. but within every marginalized community, there are people who are even more marginalized. Yes. And it's as you add intersections that you get that. And an intersection of being gay and also older, mm-hmm. and then some of those folks are disabled, and some of those folks are people of color, Every intersection is a step down the ladder of privilege. Yeah. So um, as you start to become aware that, for instance, many of the folks in the chorus were living at or below the poverty line mm-hmm. um, and had to work two or three jobs in their 50s and 60s, absolutely unacceptable. 
absolutely unacceptable. It should not be that difficult to make a living. It shouldn't be that difficult to live your authentic life. No. Um, it's, it's my passion because this is a community I have personally connected with. Mm-hmm. This is a community where every action I do as executive director of Owlish directly impacts people I love. And I think that is how we eventually overcome bias, hatred, prejudice, is finding that one person that you love that is also identified as something that you fear. Right. And then that overcomes it. That overcomes it because you see the humanity and you see the shared experience. Um, I don't, I, I, I have never, we've been friends for a while, but I've never, I've never directly asked you that question, but I also, um, I'm just so touched and moved as our audience will be by that answer. And because um, I I think you said a couple different things. I think all of us at one time in our life, and some of us still are, are wearing masks because we're forced to, because that's what society expects of us, asks of us. Um, And you are, you know, a heterosexual white woman and and I I love your fiance Tony too shout out to Tony <laughs> soon to be future hubby I know That's right. um but some people would say well what connection does she have with with this community and I think that that's what I've always said even when I was a teacher with my students was like it doesn't affect you until it affects you mm. right it yeah, doesn't affect definitely. you until your child comes out. It doesn't affect you until you have a friend that um, is, is suicidal. It doesn't affect you until, you know, you hear about stories of people who haven't been able to live their authentic lives their entire lives, you know, and you hear their stories. Um, and most of those stories, if you listen close enough, will bring you to your knees, right? Absolutely. Um, because many young people would look at you and, you know, you're a keynote speaker, you've done all these amazing things, you're highly educated, you're degreed, but there were dark times in in, in that journey, within that journey, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just, I commend you, and um, I'm, I'm hoping, I know that a lot of, a lot of people are going to be saved by that story, and I also just want to say that nobody should ever feel ashamed to be who they truly are, and, and the people that will love you are going to show up for you. They're going to find you. The, uni- mm-hmm. the universe is going to bring them to you in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, so just not to give up. I know that that's cliche, but, and, and you never did. So, yeah, you know. You know, and, and if you give up, mm-hmm. if you were at a place where, as I was, my mantra was, I am nothing. I am worth nothing. Yeah. The world would be better without me. I said it to myself every minute of every day. In those moments when you cannot do it for yourself, at least trust the people that you know love you and le- and rely on them for a minute. It is not weakness to rely on people who love you yes. because they want to do that for you. And eventually you will pay that back. Yes. You will pay it back. It is not a debt. Yes. It's not a debt. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to be loved so much that you are going to be supported in your darkest moment when you have nothing left to give that is what true community is yeah that's real community yeah so yeah and you've done that for me so well thank you (laughs) um I mean that with all my heart um so you are the executive director of Owlish which is a phenomenal organization if you haven't heard about Owlish we're going to tell you about it today um, so can you tell us about what Owlish is and what, what this organization is trying to accomplish? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Alish began um, sort of nascently uh, the summer and fall of 2021. Mm-hmm. Uh, Heather Holmes is the founder. She had this vision um, that sort of started to become realized <laughs> that she wanted to meld two parts of her life, um, the LGBTQ passion and identity with her absolute passion for serving the senior community. Um, she began by doing some socials, um, in the spring of 2022, we sponsored, um, a bill, uh, LB 1136 in the legislature here in Nebraska. And that bill, uh, is, was intended to, uh, eliminate discrimination against LGBTQ folks in senior living communities. Um, it has been table, but it did have quite a bit of support. Um, and then as the spring went on, Heather realized that she was op- she's opening her own um, senior living community, the Brant, and she did not have capacity for the growth that she could see coming. Absolutely. Um, and I was a board member at the time, so essentially we sort of swapped places. Mm-hmm. Uh, Heather became uh, president of the board, and I moved into the executive director role. Since then, we have visited uh, several prides, and I've heard from a lot of older folks um, we've been to a million events and I've started writing curriculum and the intention of this curriculum is to bring it into senior living communities or senior facing organizations and really help them get to know this population. I'm sure that there are folks out in the world who are going to say there aren't LGBTQ older folks in the Midwest. They've all moved away cause they hate it. <laughs> that is not true. Right. Um, while of course the census is flawed and we don't have an idea of how many specific people, um, I made a kind of an algorithm and calculated that in Omaha using the census and using the likelihood of LGBTQ people in the state of Nebraska, we probably have between 27,000 and 30,000 older LGBTQ folks just in Omaha. Mm -hmm. Um, and of course, everyone knows census is flawed mm-hmm. because most people of color living in communities with people of their same race um, tend not to report or self-report right. as uh, a member of the LGBTQ community. Obviously, that is changing. Mm-hmm. Um, however, that is just that's just how census goes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, it's my intention to build this organization in the most inclusive manner possible. So I'm um, currently looking for funding to make sure that everything is already translated into Spanish on our website, all of our (laughs) curriculum. Um, And, you know, everything's a circle, right? Um, So these LGBTQ-facing senior livings, these organizations, a lot of the caregiver folks are people of color. And some of them do not have English as their first language. So you have to be really cognizant of that Mm -hmm. and make sure that you're offering curriculum in the languages that are represented as much as you possibly can. Um, In Nebraska, you know, um, Spanish certainly, but also Arabic, also newer. Um, There are some Asian languages, and I'm not going to attempt to name them because they're very specific, but I know we have a a strong Hmong population here, which are a, a Chinese group, sort of. Uh, they don't identify as Chinese, but that's a whole other story. Yeah. <laughs> um, long story short, um, this initial year of Owlish, um, I'm really doubling down on that curriculum mm-hmm. because I think the more informed we are about just the special needs of folks, yes. um, most 75 to 80% of older LGBTQ folks have to go back in the closet when they enter senior living. Mm-hmm. 
Um, in some cases, that's because that senior living is strongly affiliated with a religious group that is not accepting of LGBTQ folks. Mm-hmm. But in some cases, it's just the way it's managed, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and imagine not being able to have your friends and family photos out. Imagine not being able to wear your pride things. Mm-hmm. Imagine never being acknowledged as who you actually are and just saying, gosh, that Harry, he's been single a long time. What a mystery. Right. Um, you know, right. it, no one should have to live like that. Mm-mm. We earn our so-called golden years, mm-hmm. but for a lot of people, they're nothing, nothing like a golden year, you know? Right. For a lot of people, it's fear. I don't have enough money. What if I don't have food? I don't have support in my household. Yeah. Baby boomers who are older and LGBTQ, honestly, are often ostracized from their families. Right. Um, and because of that, they don't have support. Nobody's checking on them. Nobody's in their home saying, oh, my gosh, your pills are all mixed up. You know, um, social services doesn't have the funding or the time to check on every single human being that exists. Um, and honestly, there's education needed there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of social services places just don't have the time to educate folks on every marginalized community they might serve. Um, but an hour, an hour-long discussion of some things to look for, some concerns, some resources, can really make the difference between life and death for people. So right now I'm, con- I'm concentrating on curriculum, and then I'm concentrating on community. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of really lonely people. There are a lot of really lonely people in this community. And, you know, for instance, um, I'm, obviously I can't talk to the audience directly, but uh, if raise your hand if you know a space where older lesbians can go meet. That would be a cricket situation. I was just going to say. <laughs> there are seven lesbian bars in the United States, period. Um, and I'm not going to get into the why of that, but I will just say there needs to be places that are a safe community, mm-hmm. um, and I'm happy to create them and step out because as a straight person, I'm not always needed or welcome in a space. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Yeah. That's okay. So. Wow. Um, and I think, too, you know, we could – I mean, I'm just going to encourage um, any member of our community, if you are interested in a speaker and having Sarah come and speak to your organization and educate you, whether you're in senior living or just maybe you're a family that's trying to navigate through this, um, she's an excellent, excellent resource, and I will share all of your information. It will be everywhere. Awesome. Um, But I just, I commend you for what you do. Um, You know, I've said this before, I've known... um, a lot of people in my life that, um, had to hide, um, you know, and I, it breaks my heart now because I think looking back at the time and where they were in history and things like that, I mean, I think that they made the best of it, but it would have been so great to have an organization, um, and a resource like yourself. So advocating for them. And we're kind of a unicorn in the Midwest. There's (coughs) nobody doing what we do. So, um, you know, gosh, sure. We're young. Sure, we're young, but we have such a robust board, and you included, lots of experience, um, lots of lawyers, interestingly. Um, I'm just, I will say to the public listening to this, there's not a small conversation that's too small for me to come hang out with you in a coffee shop and discuss. Um, It's those small conversations, those intimate conversations that really create change. They really run the world. Um, Those are the ripples. Um, it's a very sort of trite analogy to say, oh, the ripple effect. 
However, it's a true one, you know. Um, every person that you have a discussion with and give them ideas to think on and ponder on may be a person that steps up in a public situation and says something in the future. And that's how change is made. It's the courage of individual people that creates change. It's not the changing of an entire zeitgeist of a community. Right. It's individuals. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think there's great things. I know there's great things to come for Outlish. So stay tuned, everybody. Um, so you are very passionate about DEI as well. And some people, I think, I'm, I'm just going to be honest, this is very new to some people. So diversity, equity, and inclusivity. Mm -hmm. um, so can you tell us um, what you want people to know about DEI and just kind of your, your background in the field? Okay. <laughs> I know it's a lot. No, no, no. It's okay. Um, so I've been sort of tertiarily involved in DEI um, for most of my life in volunteer roles. Mm -hmm. um, I've volunteered for organizations that primarily support marginalized communities, um, African-American or um, South Sudanese, for instance. Mm -hmm. I've worked with them. Um, boy, talk about marginalized, but that's another story. Uh, LGBTQ. Um, but it never became formal until um, a recent job I had. We moved to Denver, and I received, I got a job at the Better Business Bureau. And I really had an opportunity to not only work with and eventually lead our community-facing um, sector, um, but also to work with diverse communities and see, you know, um, interestingly, Denver is pretty highly segregated. Um, it's a shame because there's an economic powerhouse there in some of those communities that is not acknowledged. Um, and gosh, I keep saying, um, oh, like I don't speak constantly. <laughs> I just, formulating thoughts. You're, yeah, you're uh, doing great. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> um, so I, I think about that, and then um, right at the beginning of COVID, I lost my job. Uh, and it was the right decision on the part of my boss and shout out to Kim States because you're the best boss I've had. Oh. Uh, and I would say within a month, I had met some people, uh, started to work in sort of DEI circles and kind of get my mind opened up to the fact that it's not enough to just be in your heart of hearts, silently anti-racist and in your heart of hearts, silently inclusive. You, know, you need to have the vocabulary and the ability to relate that to other people, mm -hmm. especially people who have that fear boundary. Many people want to do the right thing. They want to say the right thing. They don't know how, and they're afraid of feeling stupid yeah. or saying the wrong thing. Yes. Um, and I am here to tell you that it is better to say something, um, but also remain humble because you might get corrected. Mm -hmm. I did. I got corrected a lot, and I didn't, I'm old enough now in my life to separate that from my sense of identity. Right. I don't feel like if I'm corrected by someone because I used the wrong pronouns or referred to race in a way that's unpleasant for that person, that them correcting me has anything to do with my self-worth. Mm -hmm. It has to do with my ability to relate to other people, and really help them move along the way I was helped to move along. And isn't that the purpose of our life on earth is to learn things and help others. I mean, there is no greater purpose than making someone's life 
better, yeah. making someone's life more palatable, more joyful, more uh, safe, mm-hmm. you know. I think the thing that really struck me as we worked through some of this DEI stuff, as you say, um, is the need to emphasize safety, yeah. especially in the workplace. Um, you would be surprised at all the microaggressions. And for those folks listening, um, okay, Jaquel would not be surprised at the microaggressions. I'm just saying the ubiquitous you. Yes. Uh, yes. The microaggressions of people here in the workplace. Right. Um, even something as simple as asking a woman when she's going to have kids mm-hmm. is a massive microaggression. Number one, you have no idea. She could be sterile. Right. She could have had trauma in that area. And number two, there are so many more things you could say to someone. A lot of times when I meet someone, I say, what do you do for fun? Or what brings you joy? Or what's the last thing you read? Right. Because I want to have a conversation. I don't need to catalog them. Mm -hmm. So if we could step back from trying to catalog people and making them safe uh, and knowing that I turn to this page and that's where Jaquel belongs. Mm Mm-hmm. And start thinking Jaquel's her own book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get to enjoy that book. And I get to understand who she really is by asking her questions that evoke things. If we could step back from trying to categorize people and start celebrating people, I think our lives would be so much richer. Yes. Um, so I had the v- huge privilege of joining uh, Yvonne Alston, who has a DEI business. She is absolutely spectacular. And Chris Lynn. Uh, who is a people-first manager. And we began a group on LinkedIn called Lead, Lead Leaders for Equity, Allyship, and Diversity. Had speakers every week. Um, I managed all the, the programming of it all and did a lot of moderating. And uh, we had some super interesting folks on there that some people just really surprised me. Yeah. This is how I learned, started to learn about the two-spirit, for instance, mm-hmm. Uh, aspect of some Native American communities. Um, Indigenous folks have a whole different feeling about gender, Mm -hmm. Um, for the most part, not all. Um, Nothing's a blanket statement. But um, when you start to realize that diversity is, in fact, diverse, Mm -hmm. you start to think to yourself, I have so much more to learn. I have so much more to understand about people. So my LinkedIn profile says I'm a voracious understander. And that's true. You know, um, I don't need knowledge as much as I need understanding. And I strive for that every day. So lead has sort of stopped. I have handed it over to some Gen Z folks because I think that the future of DEI is probably stepping away from DEI. Um, Stepping away from the idea of frankly, educating white people about things and starting to really concentrate on systems change. Mm -hmm. And Gen Z is all about that. So I've handed lead over to some other folks and they're working on restarting it as something new. And I love that that change, right? Change is so exhilarating. I know for some folks it's really scary, but man, it's just, it's amazing to see people get passionate about something and you hand them a group of, for instance, in this case, a community that already exists. Mm -hmm. Here's your audience. Mm -hmm. Create something that will compel them. Um, It's just beautiful. It's beautiful to watch minds just explode with ideas. So that's my DEI journey. I love, and and also I love the fact that you 
are able to pass the torch because that's sometimes difficult for some people, right? When that's your baby, that's what you, but like you having such, and I think we as a society need to have that approach too, like passing the torch and Mm -hmm. like the younger generation can make it better and they can take it and they can run with it and they can affect, you know, and impact an entirely different generation. Um, Absolutely. You know, isn't it amazing that we think of the day we pass the torch is the day we stop being relevant. Right. 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 But we have all seen that athlete who overstays their welcome, that CEO who gets to the point where they're kicked out. Yeah. Never get to that point. Yeah. Because leaving an organization at the height of its success and handing it over to someone that you know is going to make it incredible, is going to take it to a different audience, a different generation, you move on to something else that's incredible. There are a million ways to contribute to this planet, yeah. a million ways. You don't have to do the same thing your entire life. Mm-mm. It doesn't mean you're less relevant. It means you're relevant in a different way. Yeah. Reinvent yourself. Let it happen organically, though, of course. But, but yeah. I, you know, aging is not a situation where you reach the pinnacle in your 50s and you're the CEO and then you have this long, slow descent into irrelevancy and inactivity and I don't talk to anybody and I sit in a rocking chair. There are no rocking chairs anymore. Mm -mm. My dad is 88 and he sits in a tractor and he trades commodities and he he can still do a column of numbers in his head. That is what aging is now. It's figuring out how to make your body do the things that bring you joy in a different way Mm -hmm. Um, it's not being put in storage until you die yeah that's I I just want to emphasize that across the board you know you might be 80 but you have so much to be and do we appreciate it and we want to help you flourish you know and I think a lot of people are starting to think that Mm -hmm. so yeah no that's that's beautiful and so true um And I'll just say a lot of young people need that wisdom. A lot of young people don't have um, that familial support um, that's stereotypical, you know. Um, And so, and I know you and I have talked about that, about ideas, about, you know, really, really connecting the older generation with the newer generation Mm -hmm. and that mentorship being so important because they've been through it, you know, they've been through it. Most younger people just need a chance, a real Mm -hmm. chance, Mm -hmm. a supported chance. Mm -hmm. It's one thing to say, give them an opportunity, but if that person doesn't even have money to get a bus to the opportunity, it's not an opportunity. It's just a failure in waiting. Mm -hmm. Um, Give kids an opportunity. Give people a chance to excel. And, you know, I think connecting older folks and younger folks can really do that because you have wisdom and resources on one side and you have energy and innovation on the other. And is that not the recipe for everything we need on the planet? Yes. So um, I, I would concur with you. <laughs> there, is no, there is no agenda for the older generation that does not include the younger generation mm-hmm. because holistically that is the human experience. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, yeah. It's powerful. Super powerful stuff. Um, So, um, you know, and you've given so many, you've imparted so much knowledge and given so much inspiration um, on this episode. But, you know, is there, what what is one thing that you would say to encourage a young person in today's society that's struggling with mental health issues? I think what I would say is, 
Which is an interesting thing, right? That's a, that's something yeah. that we've been conditioned to do as a woman. I have just added a qualifier to my own thought. Right. What I will say is I spent a majority of my life so depressed, so um, at the mercy of a few chemicals in my brain, yes. but assuming that what that was was me, my worth, my self-worth, being sad, feeling inactive, feeling like you can't get anything done and you cannot do anything and you are not worth something, that is a chemical reaction in your brain. Mm -hmm. That is not who you are. Who you are is a special, unique, amazing individual, even if you don't feel it day to day. There are things that every human being on this planet can do that no one else can do. Mm -hmm. I believe that in my heart of hearts. I know it in my soul of souls. I have lived all over the world. I have met a million people I have so many friends, so many people I love and care about. They are all utterly unique. People who do and do not have college educations, people who are young, people who are old, people who have had immense privilege and people who have no privilege. Every single one of those human beings is special and unique. And that gift is what is needed in the community of this world. Your gift is amazing. So don't let three chemicals in your brain take your gift away from the planet. And if you need me, I'm here. Yes. Wow. Um, I've never, I've asked that question to a lot of folks and I've never gotten quite as great of an answer as that. So um, that's amazing. Um, you know, I, I just would like to say, I mean, first and foremost, I always like to do this like circle back. Um, but if it's, if you could go back to little Sarah, <laughs> little, little um, Sarah, what piece of advice do you wish that someone would have given you when you were younger? And what would it be? And what would you go back and tell her now? I would tell her to be brave. Yeah. And I would tell her that um, bravery is a habit. It's not a characteristic. You become brave by every single step you take in a direction that's uncomfortable. Um, every time you do something that feels like a risk, that's courage. Even if it's small, even if it's trying a new food, reading a book that you're not sure you're ready for, uh, even just talking to a stranger. Um, that is something I conditioned myself to do, to be able to talk to strangers. And the, I started this thing about 10 years ago where every day I would say something nice or complimentary to a stranger, and it was so outside my comfort zone. It made me almost sick to my stomach to yeah. do it. But now, every time I meet someone, I have already noticed something <laughs> spectacular about them, and I have something to say. Um, you know, that bravery that you have, little Sarah or any little kiddo in this world, man, it changes lives. It changes lives. You could be talking to someone who is in the worst day of their life, and if you tell them that they're beautiful or that their clothes are great or that you notice their smile and you hope they have a great day, that may be the thing that changes that minute, that hour, that day. Um, and maybe it's not. Maybe you don't have that power, but at least you've put something beautiful and positive out in the world. I mean, it's very trite to say we need to live with love, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think the live, laugh, love thing, um, you see that in the goodwill of more than any other sign <laughs> because we're about sick of it. Yeah, um, yeah. So don't live, don't laugh, but definitely love. And love takes so many forms, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes love is just being positive, understanding, humble, B 
being present for someone. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of people that just need you to sit with them. They don't want a solution to their problem. They want to know that another living human being cares enough to be present with them. Um, so be brave, little Sarah. Be brave and know that every time you go up to a stranger and do say something nice, every time you give them the meal that your mom bought you at Little Duffer, which is a restaurant that doesn't exist anymore, um, you know, every time you do something like that, you've changed the world. You've changed the world. Be brave. Wow. Um, I am all about gratitude. And um, I will say that it, it, is, it is my utmost privilege to know you. I am grateful for the ability to hear your story today. I know that this is absolutely going to change people's lives. And I don't say that, as you say, tritely. I don't say that you know, um, passively, I know that it is because you are someone that speaks from the heart, owns your authenticity. And that is something that is extremely rare and beautiful. Um, and I'm honored to call you friend. Thank you. I'm honored to call you a friend. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, and with that, um, I just like to say, uh, thank you for being on. I do, I do want to get your contact information so that folks can link up with you for education, for support, yeah. Um, Sarah is phenomenally talented in a myriad of areas, but, um, she's a great public speaker, um, but she's also a, a phenomenal listener and, and we need more of those. So, um, if you wouldn't mind sharing your contact information, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, <laughs> the easiest way to get a hold of me, my shortest email address is Sarah, S-A-R-A-H at owlish, O-W-L-I-S-H dot org. Um, feel free to always contact me. I'm also on LinkedIn, um, and I do, uh, right now I'm doing a lot of commenting on LinkedIn and a little bit less posting because we're getting ready for our fundraiser. Um, but I am on LinkedIn, and I believe on LinkedIn it's B Sarah Phelps. So the letter B, S-A-R-A-H-P-H-E-L-P-S. Um, and you are more than welcome to contact me at any point, and I'm always up for a coffee. Yeah. So. And I, and I don't, I would be remiss. So we have plenty of time. I, um, Owlish has a phenomenal, it's actually our, our first ever gala that's coming up. So let's, I'm going to let Sarah do a plug for that because we would love to have as many people come and support, um, as we possibly can. Yeah. I, um, gosh, you know, one of the, one of the necessary evils of running a nonprofit is that you need money all the time. Yes. Uh, and wouldn't it be great if the Gates Foundation, shout out Bill Gates and Melinda Gates, <laughs> um, just gave us a wad of cash and we didn't have to do this for a while, but it is what it is. And the long and short of it is that I look at this fundraiser as a way to build some community, mm-hmm. as a way to show people kind of what we're doing, where we're headed, and get input. Mm-hmm. I always welcome input. Um, I'm pretty humble about everything I do, so... If you think things could be going in a different direction, let me know. However, on September 30th, um, Carson Wealth has extremely graciously loaned their space to us. So we will be out at Carson Wealth, uh, which is about 144th and Dodge. You can't miss it. It's a giant silver building just south of the interstate. Uh, Thank you, Ron Carson, for the space. Um, We'll be there from 6 o'clock to 9 o'clock. Um, the bar opens at 6.01. We'll have art for you to look at. Um, you'll have some vocalists 
singing sort of in the middle of the event. Um, we have some great folks, Kieran Hoyer, uh, Valerie Haynes, um, very excited for uh, just kind of a, a vocal pause, some exciting new music, I think, is what's going to be coming. Um, and then we'll do an art auction. And uh, during that art auction, um, we'll have a little video and kind of show you what we've been doing so far. Um, I'll give a little discussion of, of where I think we're going. And um, the night will wrap up about 9 o'clock. So we're trying to be really cognizant that people are tired at the end of the week. And frankly, I think it's going to be freaking great. Yes. Um, I did not cuss because, you know, family friendly, <laughs> but um, I'm really excited. We have a, a lot of really talented people who've offered their services and want to come and help make it spectacular. And frankly, you know, buy a ticket, come have cocktails, come have charcuterie, the desserts we're having, meet other people, get to know us, enjoy the beautiful space, um, and just really enjoy the fact that you are contributing to making aging folks' lives better. Um, let's let's discard the idea that old people get put in the freezer until they die. Let's start thinking about how do we create inclusivity and equity around all old folks, all elderly folks, all older folks. Um, you know, even... Sorry, I've, I've tried to get into programming. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> the gala is going to be so much fun. Um, it is not... There is no dress code. Um, but you're going to be photographed, so f make sure you feel pretty. Yeah. Um, or handsome. Yeah. <laughs> or anything in between. Um, we are absolutely welcoming to anyone. This is a handicapped accessible space. There is a uh, zero, zero uh, rise entry and a, an elevator that will take you up to the mezzanine level where the bar and the lounge and so forth will be. Uh, if you need assistance, please contact me again at that Sarah uh, at alish.org address. I will make sure I can get you there and get you somewhere safely. Um, and just come and enjoy. Yeah. Come and enjoy. Have, relax with us. Look at some great art. Um, contribute if you feel like it. Ask questions if you don't. I'm here. Every board member is here, including Jaquel. So yeah. um, I look forward to seeing everyone there. I think it's going to be a really great time. Something unusual. Yeah. It's gonna be it's gonna be beautiful and um, so very grateful to have you and um, not just your voice but your listening ear to so many and thank you um, and please 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 join us at Carson Wealth on September thirtieth it's gonna be a good time it's gonna be amazing <laughs> um, and with that I hate to do this because I could literally talk to you forever I could talk to Sarah forever <laughs> um, but uh, we are gonna go ahead and close the episode I just want to say. Um, if you are a person that's struggling right now, um, there's always hope and there's always help, um, whether that is within your friend group, whether that is within an organization. And we're very grateful for two sponsorships at Education with an Edge, um, the Boys Town Suicide Hotline, as well as the Nebraska Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And then we're also grateful to BetterHelp.com. So if you find it difficult to get in and see a therapist face-to-face, BetterHelp.com has excellent um, options for online help. Um, it's a big, uh, I want to be a big advocate of mental health mental um, and, and mental health awareness, and therapy has helped me greatly, and it's nothing to be ashamed of. And so um, I do hope that you take advantage of all of those options. And we look so forward to seeing you next time. The world needs your love. We need your light. Thank you so much and have a great day. 
If you have a question or just want to learn more, go to jaquellelane.com. Thanks for listening to Education with an Edge. A Huda Media Production.